Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to A Matter of Truth. My name is Anthony. We are on episode 32, and I'm excited to tackle this particular topic, uh, and I'm joined with Alex, my co-host. What's happening? Hey, man. Hard to believe, man. It's, it's like we've been doing this for like a couple of weeks or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, it really <laughs> feels that way, but yeah. we're um, 32 episodes in, mm-hmm. but... I come May, we will be hitting the two year mark of a matter of truth. Two years old, man. Yeah, it's it, yeah. it's the the once a month cadence yeah. is kind of <laughs> doesn't feel like two years at all. So yeah, you know, keeps the excitement there. It really does. So it's cool. So mm. so we're gonna talk about a question that we got, and additionally, um, I thought we could have a discussion about how that question relates to a Christian worldview and what it really means as it applies to reading scripture. Uh, you know, we are in a day and an age where, uh, you know, the title Christian can mean whatever an individual chooses it to mean. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. <laughs> and Christians pick and choose what they're willing or, the, or, or what they want to believe and blatantly disregard, disregard God's authority uh, with yeah. his word. Yeah. So, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it it, <laughs> it really is, and um, you know, to the point of just earlier, right before we got on to record, you you, you have this female. I got air quotes going here. Female pastor oh, yeah. stating, you know, transfiguration on Sunday and twisting that all around to embrace the trans community. Mm-hmm. Th- that's Absolute. where we are absolute blasphemy it really is it really is not in any any little square inch of my notes for tomorrow's sermon have i referenced any person outside of those in the biblical context uh in in a gender kind of persona if you would uh it it is solely and a hundred percent strictly based upon uh, exactly what God has revealed to us in scripture and nothing else. Yeah. Yep. All right. I digress. So mm-hmm. we got a question and the question, yep. and you know, we both have heard it. I know I've heard it and um, I'm, I'm glad to actually have this particular question because it gave me an opportunity to kind of dig in a little bit more. But uh, here's the question. Was Jonah really swallowed by a ginormous great fish? Any adjective you want to put in there before fish, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's a, you know, that is an awesome question. Um, it's, it's, you know, one might look at the question as kind of very childlike and it is, and that's mm-hmm. exactly how we should, you know, be kind of asking these questions and seeking out God's truth in this. So I thought we could talk about that and because that does directly tie into, you know, based on the conclusion of that answer, yep. what a Christian worldview looks like. So right. what should we tackle? Should we tackle, um, you know, give some background uh, for, I'm sure everybody knows the story, but let's, let's talk a little bit about um, the prophet Jonah. Oh, all right. Well, I think to understand Jonah, uh, it's best to kind of um, 
go back all the way to Genesis. And, and, and I'm going to kind of give a very quick brief overview of this because I want people to just kind of put this in their mind and, uh, and allow it to kind of, uh, grow and, 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 uh, develop over time, not necessarily today's episode, but you know, over the course of however many weeks and months that you decide to study this further, as we've been digging into scripture, um, we've been really hammering these last couple of episodes on the hermeneutical application of scripture, reading it properly and understanding it properly. And and one thing I picked up, uh, I got a book from, uh, Chad bird and he's a, uh, scholar in residence at 1517. And so he's, he's Lutheran, but his entire premise, uh, is teaching, uh, old Testament. So he's, proficient in Hebrew and Greek. And, uh, he wrote a book called, uh, the Christ key. And in this book, he surveys all of, uh, or not really all of, but a very kind of quick overview of, uh, the old Testament pointing to aspects of Jesus who is to come. And, and he poses a really good question in this. And, and again, I'm getting, um, to my point of Jonah here in a minute, but he poses this really good question in the uh, opening chapters of the book. And he says, what scripture did the new Testament authors reference when they referred to scripture or it was written? And, and the question is answered in the framework that as we can see the composition or the compiling of the new Testament books, they were written within relatively the same time frame so it's not like they could piggyback off of each other right paul paul on the other hand could reference some of his other writings or kind of uh demonstrate or articulate something a little differently to say uh, the church in galatia versus versus the church in rome because uh, there's a lot of similarities and overlaps there but that's paul's writing um you, you don't have paul necessarily referencing uh, you know, Matthew's text per se. However, you have Paul, uh, having the full revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he's articulating the person and nature of Jesus through all of his letters. So when we survey the new Testament, it is written as an essential expansion and explanation to the old Testament. And if you go through the new Testament, especially Paul's letters, you would be hard fetched to find, uh, many passages that don't reference the old Testament in some manner. Uh, and, and case being Matthew 12 40, uh, is a text that often gets, uh, kind of put into the, uh, the ability to say that Jonah and the account was, uh, truly biblical because it says here in verse 40, Jesus says for just as Jonah was in uh, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Yeah. So will the son of man. So who is he referencing? He's referencing himself, but he's also giving validity to the fact that Jonah really did do this. This wasn't something that was added as a comical relief story to all of the heartache and, and troubles that Israel had felt. This isn't a satire story written. This isn't yeah. anything. It is, if Jesus is referencing it, it is biblically authentic. Well, and, and, and keep your line of thought. I'm going to interject as we go here. Mm-hmm. And, and to that point, you have so many scholars, biblical scholars, you see them on Discovery, you see them on CNN, who, mm-hmm. who exactly they reference, come on, this was satire. Mm-hmm. I, I, anybody who who thinks that, you know, a giant fish swallowed up a man and a man could live in that, in, in the belly of a fish. It's, you look like a buffoon. You, you, yeah. it's, it's complete absurdity. And, yep. and you have to sit back and you should be very concerned when you're listening to this person who they're, they are saying they're a, a Christian and they're, and they're basically picking and choosing what they are willing to believe from God, from God's word, and and then they're going publicly and, and and putting it out there to question God. Oh, this sounds like Satan in in the garden. Did God really mm-hmm. say? Did he really mean? 
and that's that's exactly it and and you know i'm looking at my my overview of jonah here and one of the challenges is is it history or is it parable and it's notes that critical scholars regard the story of jonah as a fictional lesson chiefly because of the miraculous provision of the quote-unquote fish by which god rescued jonah however Every single aspect of the story conforms to the historical setting. When Jesus cited the story in Matthew 12, 39 through 42, he did not treat it as a parable, but as history. And so it, it is a historical book. Uh, it is broke, broken down into a few aspects. And, and I would venture to say the, 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 the mystery can be found in the fish. And but that's not the that's not the premise to the whole story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's just it, that's just one piece of this. Yeah. Of the story. And, and before you move on, you, you hit on something because you met you, you mentioned miraculous. And, mm-hmm. and I want before we move on, I, I want to talk to something that's, that's just very critical in 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 unpacking Jonah. And I know mm-hmm. there's a lot of d- different. Um, I think you have to look at all the context. You mentioned that, too. There's the. Um, canonical, historical, and the literary context as a mm-hmm. whole, because they all overlap with each other. But the one thing I want to I want to point out is, with respect with respect to the Christian worldview, we as Christians who are who are biblically uh, rooted Christians, uh, we presuppose the miraculous. Period. Yeah. Okay. And that that's why I say with the Christian worldview, it's not just a title we should throw around. I, th- I would encourage everybody to really think about that when they, when they say, "Well, the Christian worldview," and you know, I, I, I look at things from a Christian worldview. Christian worldview means what God says, God means, and God did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you as a finite individual, a, a sinful, fallen individual, we're in no position, no position to question God and what is clearly laid out, as you said. In a number one, uh, Jonah is in uh, the third person, and yep. it's it, it's laid out historic in the historical con- context, I guess, if you will, right? Yep. So I wanted to just kind of point that out because you know the first cause, mm-hmm. God, who who just he created everything, okay, and. He is completely capable, and this is this is the Christian worldview of supernaturally um, coming into the universe as he did with Jesus, and that he created he created this universe and doing whatever his will is. And I'll I'll just say this, and I said this before, um, and then I'm going to turn it back over to you. <laughs> From the Christian worldview standpoint, if God, if we're saying God sent His only Son to the cross to die. To conquer death, he he was in the grave and beat death, risen in three days. Mm-hmm. God can handle a big fish swallowing up a man. It, that is not a far fetched story. I mean, right at all. So, right, I digress. No, I think you nailed it perfectly because it, it it's there, there's such a deeper meaning to the to the story of Jonah than what what you know people like to read into. And it just as you had said, people focus so heavily on the fish and oh, right. they try to and they try to dismantle the story based upon the fish well who cares if it was a fish you know some theologians say it was a whale who cares there's there's stuff in the ocean that you'll we will still have yet to discover Dude, and you are not even kidding i mean i mean with with technology technology today have you seen yeah. some of the things they've uncovered i in, it is unreal and this and dude, i mean just look at the size of some of these like the the tuna fish mm-hmm. i mean huge yeah Gro- gropers yep. yeah just massive fish and when you start studying jonah you know mm-hmm. i think i read one commentary it's absurd yeah you know they have you know these whales have a, a stomach um, uh, you know a, a stomach made up strictly of muscle other of gas and uh then an, made then another stomach made of something else and they were basically saying a human would suffocate in the one stomach but again yeah supernaturally yeah. the miraculous and that is the christian worldview um c- defeats all of that and that's why they call it a miracle it, you cannot yeah. explain it yep and and i think that's uh i think that's what's really lost in the story is that people focus again so heavily on that 
the element of the fish, but they they lose sight of the purpose to the story of Jonah. What was Jonah told to do? He was told to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. And and only because God is giving the Ninevites this opportunity to repent. Right. You know, it's interesting you you mentioned gospel, too, mm -hmm. you know, because it's the Old Testament, right? Yes. Typically, typically we hear the gospel, but the reality of exactly what you said is God commissions one of his prophets to go talk about judgment and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and how displeased God is and to, and, and repentance. Mm -hmm. So I just think it was, you know, it's very, very, um, when, when I hear gospel testament, you're like, huh, but all things point to Jesus point to the cross. Yep. And, and here's another thing to add to the understanding. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Right. It was a powerful, ruthless nation about 500 north, north, 500 miles northeast of Jonah's hometown in Israel. Assyria poses a threat to the entire region, including Israel. And we see that Nineveh's fortified wall was eight miles in circumference. And guess what? Jonah is called to go and proclaim God's impending judgment. Now, <laughs> that's not, so, big, that's not so, a tall order or anything, right? So, so you have, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's minor. <laughs> and so you kind of have to think about the story in this context that uh, Jonah is a prophet and he, you know, just like any prophet, he probably did, you know, what he uh, was raised to do by previous uh, prophets or um, Pharisees that had come before him or priests, whatever word you want to give them. And so he, you know, studied scripture, prayed vigorously, but then he's given this command early on in verse one, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of an Ammonite saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and call out against it. And so within the two verses of uh, chapter one, Jonah's given this command to go. And so we we don't have, uh, you know, a, a backstory into, you know, what was Jonah doing prior to this? In fact, we only have four chapters of of, of his, you know, uh, journey, essentially. You bring up, I mean, that's an excellent point, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, and this goes to the historical, the historical, and I'm sure a lot of, most people know this, but Jonah, you mentioned Jesus referencing mm-hmm. Jonah. He was also mm-hmm. referenced in Second Kings fourteen. Oh yes, yes. Which yeah, and and, and it's not to say that he wasn't elsewhere. Oh scripture. no, I know. Yeah, it's, it's just to say we don't have exactly you know a, a deep historical yeah. account. It's like like you could if you were to talk, and, and this is why he's called a minor prophet only because he has four chapters to his to his name. Uh, major prophets would be like Ezekiel and Isaiah, who and Daniel even who have long. Uh, who have more chapters that's how they determine you know uh minor for major prophet and and to that the the account that he's just a minor prophet i think sometimes people play him off as being insignificant but he plays a definitive role in showing god's call for salvation to come to all people because Mm -hmm. nineveh was in opposition to israel and on top of that, we see at the end of the story uh, that N- the Ninevites essentially come to repentance. But I, but further in history, they turn their back on God and God brings judgment to them. And so everything kind of has a place. And, and again, we don't know the people there, but we know that God had called some of those people out. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, that there are uh, various people who were not... Uh, historically uh, linked to Israel or a descendant of Israel, but they come to uh, repentance and uh, they come to faith via what they witnessed. And we see that in the new Testament. I mean, I think, I think Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is the best um, definition to this, that he was a Roman satyrian he was one, uh, essentially a high up command and uh, the Roman army. And he comes and he says, uh, you know, he's worshiping uh, God, the Yahweh, the Old Testament, you know, Jewish God. And God goes to Peter and says, hey, go to this man and proclaim to him Jesus Christ. And so 
Peter goes and Cornelius and his whole household are saved and baptized. And I think that goes to show that, you know, as much as we see Jesus often say first to the Jew that he came to serve and then to the Gentile, uh, Paul says it all throughout his letters. We see it here in Acts. We see even uh, from really Acts chapter 9, 10 or so and on, the call is not to the nation of Israel anymore, but it's to the whole world. And Paul commissions on and goes out to the whole world. You laying that out, it, it, what came to mind was you you talked about all of these other prophets and we talked we talked a little bit about how they they were commissioned by God. The interesting thing about Jonah is that um and and I didn't really pick this up till I started kind of delving into it after this question came by is that this particular book focuses on um Jonah himself in in this journey, okay? Mm-hmm. Where the mm-hmm. other the other uh, major prophets and um Minor prophets. I'm sorry, my computer screen blanked out. I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> um, they they focused on the message. So this this is what makes the I, I feel this book very very like you said how how it relates to Jesus and Jesus came with this message and and I was telling you earlier you know the the contrast and in, in the comparison with Jesus three days in the grave Jonah three days in the belly of a beast or great fish um but this is really a story of of what this this man this prophet was com- commissioned to do by god and what he mm-hmm. what he chose not to do when when god said in, in to 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 get up and to and to rise and and, and go to nineveh he got up but mm-hmm. he went the other way he was like mm-hmm. i I'm, no i'm not having this i'm i'm running away Right. I want no part of this. Yeah. And there wasn't even an ex- the thing is there wasn't even an exchange like the the other prophets and, and people like Moses. Moses would have this conversation with with God saying, you know, I stutter. I, I cannot do this or or Amos. But man, like Jonah was like, I'm I'm out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just leaving. Yeah. And that's, you know, um, I think that's a big a, like a big hit to to build upon in the story that if we just say in its essence that jonah you know got swallowed by a whale and then he went and preached repentance to these people we're missing the greater context yeah and 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 each of the minor prophets uh, played a very intricate role in the development of his of israel and each individual prophet is a type of a greater prophet that is Jesus Christ who is to come. And so we talked a little bit about it in the pre-show and we'll get into a little bit more, but you know, Jonah has a lot of type in him. There's uh, in his fleeing from Nineveh, you could, you could say, well, he was a type of Pharisee who withheld uh, repentance without God's word from this, these people. And, and really we don't get until, uh, chapter three, when he goes to Nineveh, so he's got we got two chapters of the four uh, that he's uh, fleeing God. Then he's in the belly of the fish, and then he writes this prayer. And now he goes to Nineveh, and he in verses six to the uh, to ten uh, is when we start to see the people repent. And uh, this is what the text says. It says the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth mm-hmm. and sat in ashes. There's a lot of uh, imagery being used in this. Uh, just this single verse, in fact. And I'm going to see if I can't get my notes to give me some deeper. Um yeah, even the king vacated the honor of his throne and joined his people in expressions of repentance. That's the sackcloth and ashes. Um, and in fact, it's something in some denominations that are going to pre- uh, participate in this coming Wednesday's Ash Wednesday because it's the uh, the turning to our understanding that as God spoke to Adam, we will return to dust. Right. And so this is uh, a, a huge 
understanding to the text when we look at verse six and see that the king has, you know, removed himself from his throne, covers himself with sackcloth and ash and realizes that he is no better than any other person because he is soon to die and his body will will turn to dust. And so uh, he issues a proclamation that's published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor a herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and let them call out to almighty God. Let everyone turn from his evil way for and from the violence that is in their hands. Who Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned away from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he uh, had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And I also would like to preference this text and say that this isn't God changing his mind. This is a... You know, the problem with the English language is we can't convey the, you know, the complete understanding of the Hebrew text without having to kind of sometimes mince the words a little bit. And so, you know, God relenting or turning away, you know, not doing what he promised to do, it, it has nothing to do with God changing his mind. It is just a simple way to explain that God had said he was going to do something and then uh, in his omniscient power chooses to do something else. Well, in so in the in the first chapter, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. Mm-hmm. So in this first part of it, and I don't have this whole chat I don't have the whole book memorized, but I'd have to go through it here. But um he he's not saying go down and say I'm you know I'm gonna strike you all dead. Uh let's see. Does it? Help me out here. Uh, I don't think it does. But it, if we go no, back to chapter three, <clears throat> it says Jonah began to go into the city, do, go on a day's journey, called out yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people okay. of Nineveh believed God and they called for fast and put on sackcloth and the greatest of them uh, from the greatest of them to the least of them. So uh, overthrown can be a lot of different things. Yeah. It could just be. You know, um, a, a neighboring nation coming in and taking siege to Nineveh, and or could or could be uh, or a throwback to Sodom and Gomorrah, where God brings down fire in uh, hellstone. Right. So, I mean, there's 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 a lot of different things to, um, you know, yeah, what, to what, try to unpack, but it's just there's not a lot of clarity to yeah. every person being destroyed. I mean, how we read it, you know, with respect to God changing his mind, uh, you know, the thing about it is we don't we don't know God's mind. So yes, in God's mind, true. he already knows the outcome and he mm-hmm. might say, go do this to accomplish what it is in his plans he needs to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, you know, he just, you know. He saved. He saved some from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction. He saved a handful. Yep. Okay. Yep. He, he didn't. He didn't destroy. And did he change his mind? No, he didn't change his mind. He always knew the outcome, and that's where it gets yep. into like oh, mind blown type of, um, you know, trying to uh, understand God's mind and how it works because he he's omniscient. He knows all, omnipresent. Uh-huh. So anyway, um, again, I digress. <laughs> you so you were you going to move into uh, chapter four? Yeah, so I, chapter four is not very long. It's 11 verses. I'm going to read these really quick because I find it to be quite uh, more or less posthumorous. Uh, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Well, if we go back to verse th- or chapter three, we see what has displeased Jonah. Right. That the whole town repents and turns to God. Jonah's mad <laughs> and and, and I think it's kind of comical. And this is about the only time we'll actually look and say that a text can be kind of comical because Jonah is just angry. Yeah. Uh, and, and he prays to the Lord and says, oh, Lord, is not this uh, what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are great for a generous God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. A lot of uh, attributes given to God there. 
Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out from the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till, uh, till he should see what the, would become in the city. Now the Lord God plant, appointed a plant that made it, up, made it come up over Jonah and that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the uh, the day came came up, or when the dawn came up of the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant, and so it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. So should I not pity Nineveh, a great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left and also much cattle. And that's how it ends. Yeah. It it just it it abruptly ends. It does. With God, you know, asserting to Jonah that shouldn't I pity these 120,000 people more than you pity a plant that gave you shade for one day? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I read one uh, particular. It's it, you know, clo- on, on, on the closing of the hundred twenty thousand persons who do not know their right hand from left. I think it was in MacArthur's. He, I believe, I have to go. I'd have to find it. And let me see here, real quick. Bear with me, because I thought it was a very, very interesting um, point that he makes about the hundred twenty thousand. Here it is. Um, God was ready to spare Sodom for 10 righteous. How much more a city with, that includes 120,000 small children identified as those who cannot discern the right hand from the left hand. And then he references Genesis 18, 22 through 23 with that, with that many three or four, four year old children, because if they don't know their left from the right, um, is it reasonable to expect a total population in excess of 600,000? So it's interesting. I'd have to dig into that a little bit, but it, you know, in his study, he believes that that reference and um, of not knowing left hand to right could potentially mean 120,000 kids. So it could have been it could have been a larger population, actually. Yeah, uh, it just yeah. It, it jumped out at me when I was reading. No, I think that's that's through. really that's really interesting. Um, here's what my notes say on verse 11. It's uh Phrasing up, should I not pity Nineveh, which is Hebrew for empathetic, yet God's final question is not left unanswered. We do not know if Jonah's attitude towards Nineveh changed. This makes this story a challenge for us. It is a reminder that God has every right to show mercy on whom he wishes. Yeah. We dare not demand that God should favor us and not others. Right. Uh, pity is commonly used negatively. Uh, in Deuteronomy, the Lord tells Israel repeatedly not to show pity on the Canaanites. Uh, and then the do do not know their left. This is uh, for you. The, the expression for extreme degree of spiritual ignorance hmm. and the vulnerability of Nineveh's population. So it could mean a couple things. Yeah. It could mean the fact that there, you know, could have been young children who just aren't fully knowledgeable. And it could also be people who are spiritually ignorant. Just ignorant so I yeah. mean, but, but, and I think anytime we come to a number, especially like the 120,000 persons uh, or the feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, it, it is it pays us to understand that there's probably more yeah. uh, than that number being included. Yeah. You know, the, the whole thing, and it's funny, you said it, um, it ends abruptly. It does. Jonah was he was upset. He was just mad that mm-hmm. g- that God was demonstrating mercy for these Gentiles, you know, Mm -hmm. and what in the kicker of it is earlier in the story, God says, arise, go. And he gets up and does his own thing, gets in a ship. And, you know, think about that. God Mm -hmm. forgave him, showed mercy. He should have, he should have destroyed the prophet because he blatantly without even conversation 
uh, disregarded the the commission, the command from God. So, yep. you know, yep. there's there's so much to kind of unpack with with Jonah that I again we got this question and I'm like, yeah, I know the story. Mm-hmm. And I but then I was telling you earlier in the pre-show, I'm like, man, this is like peeling an onion back. Every part of this, yeah, is is a layer of onion here. And that's that's the beauty of the Old Testament is that there's so much depth that can be found and there's such uniqueness to each of the stories. And we talked a little bit about it early in the show and we talked a little bit about it in the pre-show. I want to really hammer it here uh, that this story, again, falls into the hands of typology because we've highlighted the fact that in the beginning he refuses to go so he's withholding the good news from certain people which again is a very pharmaceutical move on his part uh because if we look into how israel was constructed they were selfish in their holdings of the gospel and and i use gospel in the term that salvation can be only found through the lord and especially in the Old Testament time, that was faith alone saves. And the New Testament's faith alone saves. But now we have a, we have Christ who that faith is can be actively placed into. So Jonah is a type of a Pharisee. Um, and, and I find, you know, sometimes we overlook the, the, the instance of the fish too much or we try to write it off. But his time in the fish is a type of the time that Jesus will spend in the grave. And uh it essentially is cultivating a little bit of Jonah's repentance out of his time in the fish. Chapter two is made up of this uh, seven verse long prayer that he writes. And I just read a couple of verses says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves, your bellows passed over me. And it goes on and on. It, this is very much like a psalm. I was just going to say framework. that, dude. I was just going to yeah. say the, it, the, the, the <laughs> psalms are ringing through his prayer. Yeah. I mean, the overlap is amazing. Right. Yeah. And, and so we see this repentance in the time. But uh, one thing that we, you know, Jesus didn't repent in the grave. Jesus went in and defeated right sin death and the devil and so one thing i'm going to kind of highlight my sermon tomorrow on the transfiguration is uh that the in the text it says elijah and moses come to jesus and they uh, are talking about his departure well the greek word and used in that is better probably determined to mean exodus and and when we see Exodus in the Old Testament, what do we quickly think of? Well, the book of Exodus and yeah. the departure of the Israelites from Egypt. Well, this and, and, and Chad Bird, again, uh, I was watching a video on his devotion for Transfiguration Sunday. He, he says, if we think of Exodus in the manner of God rescuing people, he goes, the death of Christ is an exodus because in the grave Mm -hmm. and at the resurrection, God is calling all of the lost children of Adam and Eve to him. And it's through Christ. And I'm like, man, that is so beautiful. Mm, Yeah. Because, because you see this echoed throughout the old Testament that God is actively calling people who do not deserve. These Syrians did not deserve repentance. Yeah. And it, and it, it wasn't I'm sorry to interrupt. It in that yeah. that was not for Jonah to decide that I'm going to withhold God's message. Right. Because he was jealous or he did not want that um uh that truth to be shared and for them to share in the mercy and the salvation that God is offering. And and, and you made me think of something. Ezekiel 33:6, okay? Uh-huh. We talk about uh-huh. prophets and, and, and Ezekiel 33, 6, it specifically outlines what happens when a prophet withholds God's truth. So, and I'll read a little bit. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. And I won't read seven eight, nine, but mm-hmm. people go mm-hmm. read that. So a prophet 
when God picked his prophets, man, it was it was the real deal. And it, it you <laughs> you know, you needed to, those prophets needed to listen. Mm-hmm. And there was no there's no escaping what God is going to send those prophets out to do. So, again, I, I go back to the mercy and uh, that God showed on Jonah and uh, bringing him back after he repented. I mean, yeah. the fact that he was still grumbling after he he uh, he went and preached to um, the Assyrians. It, it, it he missed he you know he missed he missed it. it was right in front of his face the mercy mm-hmm. that God showed him he was not willing he did not want anybody else to share in I just think that's an interesting point to to yeah. to kind of to to think about yeah and I mean we we, we can hammer on this topic uh, for for hours I mean you and I have had extensive conversations on hermeneutics and application of scripture and. You know, and I've really come to find for most people listening, uh, obviously us keeping our episodes under an hour is uh, probably the most advantageous thing we could do to our listener base. But sometimes these episodes may be two parts or three parts. I'd like to come back to this because I want to talk about the canonical, the historical and, uh, you know, the literary uh, context of this story and maybe dig in a little bit. Uh, to that and, and you know hopefully we can get, come back to this because um, you know bring it swinging it back around to your point because I, I know we want to close out here and, and, and yeah this episode was um, we covered it and, and we didn't cover it sequentially uh, we right didn't, and that but I think that's okay because the overall message from Jonah is not that he got miraculously was number one spared by, by being swallowed by you know a Greek mm-hmm. fish it's mm-hmm. it's his story. It is the story that uh, that he his own account. It was almost it's like an autobiographical biography of you know what he went through in, in, in because it's not it has not been disputed that he's not the author, has it? I mean, it, people believe that based on it's written in the third person, right? Yeah, there is no. Uh, I don't think there's any dispute on the author on the author, and really. Interestingly enough, I, I don't think there's a lot of Old Testament books that have disputed the authorship. Yeah. Um, there's there's more New Testament disputes in terms of like, did Paul really write this or did the scribe write it or did Timothy write right. it? You know, there's there's more disputes there. OK, but it is, from what I can see, it's uh, well accepted that Jonah was the, the author. author. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so, get, so getting, let's let's swing it back around to to the question that I, I think mm-hmm. we answered in, in this conversation, but was Jonah really swallowed by a great fish? And, um, and when we talked about this topic, I shot, I had actually shot Alex a text last yesterday and I said, Hey, mm-hmm. what's your position on this? Uh, because this is my position and my position is apps 100% absolutely. He was swallowed by a great fish because again, I'll say it again. The God that created the first cause, the God who created all things, can certainly handle, and, and it specifically says in Scripture, he appointed this fish, he appointed this worm, he, mm-hmm. he appoints and he can, he, he can handle that, no problem. So absolutely, God can take a great fish to swallow him up to teach this guy a lesson. And and yeah, preserve yeah. and preserve him in his mercy. His, you know, in, in, in another interesting point is, you know, this whole thing with um, reconciling divine judgment and divine mercy. You know, that that really comes out of this this story. You know, mm-hmm. in, in that you know Jonah feared these these uh, the message going to his enemies, and he was withholding it. But again, understanding divine mercy and and, and divine judgment is, you know. Uh, is another topic I'd love to kind of dig into with respect to this book. So my position was that absolutely this God can, uh, you know, God meant what he said <laughs> when yeah, yeah. a great fish. Now, certainly we can dispute what kind of fish it was. But so why don't you talk to your position a little bit just to answer the question. So absolutely. I, I, yeah. I think the question is a yes. Yes, I completely 100 percent agree. Jonah is historical it is uh quoted by jesus and 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 then we you know in that frame that jesus points to the fish so you can argue fish whale what it doesn't matter 
What matters is that Jonah spent three days in the belly of something massive, and it's a symbol, a type of the time that Jesus will spend in the grave. Yeah. And so I am of the resounding uh, stance that Jonah is historical. Uh, it really happened. And, and, and really, for that matter, anything in Scripture uh, has that. And we can, you know, we can sit and, and hammer out the, you know, framework of each book in the Old Testament and New Testament, which is kind of something I'm going to end up eventually be working through on my uh, show, Undying Light. And that's where I hammer out a lot of these kind of obscure books. And uh, Jonah, I think, is on tap to do um, to be one of those books that we're going to go verse by verse. It's four chapters, so we'll do it in probably five episodes. But it'll be a deep dive into the book and to unpack what is happening here. And this episode will be referenced probably <laughs> in every one of those I do. Yeah. Because it, it proves to us that if we take the word of Jesus as literal truth, then that means Jonah literally spent a time in the belly of some sort of water animal creature behemoth whatever you want to give yeah. it yeah he, he jesus didn't reference it in, in a parable it wasn't like a right like a, you know again this goes back to uh you know god can preserve god preserves his word through through time and he can certainly preserve a man in in, in, the, in the belly of a beast uh no problem at all yep yep Yep, I, it's. I mean, it, that's all I got on this. Like you yeah, said, I mean, I, I think this I'll is, do a deeper dive. But. Exactly. I was just going to say this was a kind of a good overview to to answer the question that we got, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I think in, in and again, I'll, I'll tie it back to the Christian worldview, and you can chime in and close out for us here. But mm-hmm. Christian worldview, when you, when you talk about it, really think about it because. We, as as disciples of Christ, it's not our place, and we don't get to decide what God says is true, and God didn't really mean this. He didn't really right. mean that, and this didn't really happen. Oh, and the six-day account, come on, come on. No, because the first cause can do anything. The He, he was before mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. So a Christian worldview means uh, that you read Scripture exactly the way God uh, lays it out in, in the plain the plain text, the plain sense uh, of what it's communicating, sort of take practical application and, and you walk away from it taking that application, but understanding context and I really I keep, we keep saying this I really want to get into to the context of this story like I mentioned and then context as a whole with the Old Testament and with mm-hmm. and with Noah and with uh, the garden and, and things like that because I know that's kind of a pain point not a pain point but it, it, it is a topic that is disputed within the Christian community but again I, I, I believe firmly that if you're gonna say Jesus Christ died for sins was conquered death, uh, crucified on the cross, raised from the dead by God, but you're not you're you're going to discredit God and say no, God can't really create the earth in six days. He can't really stick a, a human in the beast of a belly. Uh, I mean, in the belly of a beast, um, right on down the line. Then you, I would encourage you to 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 look at um, to to look within and yeah. and look and, and and consider, you know, okay, wait a minute. What is a Christian world worldview? What does it mean to be a Christian? Because that's we don't get to define that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I really can't answer it any better than what you just said. It's it's if we take God uh, at His word and live out our lives in accordance to that. Yeah, it, it's it's. I I want to play careful here because. It's not an act of you must do these things in order to be saved or earn merit or earn grace or whatever it is. It's you've been given the freedom that Christ grants for us to live out obediently and to take God's word as it is. And if we, to, you know, have a, a biblical worldview, a, you know, an application of scripture to the whole world, to the whole understanding of it then that changes our perspective and it takes us away from uh, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, your left or right, whether you live in this country or that country, whether you identify as this, that, and the other. If you 
have Christ as your Lord and Savior, you identify as a Christian with no adjective. And in that framework, the Bible is your livelihood. It is what you live from. It is what you draw your understanding of the world to. And I think it's funny because there's, I forget who says it, and it it was a quote done a while back, uh, years and years ago. And he says, if you give me uh, the Bible and you lock me in a room for a week, I can tell you everything that's wrong with the world today. (laughs) And Mm. and that is so spot on Mm -hmm. because in that the Bible gives us the answer. And and the problem is, is most people don't want to hear it because it offends our feelings. But yeah, we, we have to put ourselves aside and say, is this what God is truly saying? And in the case of Jonah, yes, it absolutely is. And in the case of any of the other 66 books in the Bible, yes, it is. Right. And, and I think it would pay us well on this show to do an episode on, uh, well, we can call it textual criticism, but yeah. we should do a episode on the development and the and the uh, and the developing of canon to scripture. Why are the sixty six books that we have true and authentic? God's word, et cetera, et cetera. I think we should do a whole episode on that soon. Yeah, I'm down with that. We can do that next because this this all kind of ties in the last Sweet. episode to this. Yeah. yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, this is a matter of truth. I'm Anthony, and you're Alex. I'm Alex. I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey man I appreciate the call getting together here and, and having this discussion so we will be back next month and you can find us on social media you know how to find us I won't repeat mm-hmm. that uh, but seriously if you're not subscribed to A Matter of Truth on your favorite podcasting platform take the time to subscribe leave um, you know leave us some feedback uh, we'd love to hear from you you know how to get a hold of Alex via uh, Instagram or any other uh, platform and I'm Speak Gospel truth on um on instagram that's kind of the only platform i have and drop us a line and uh drop us a question uh record your voice memo and uh email it to us and and we'll have you on the air here and and address the question that you might have and um you know real quick what i love about this forum here is you're a pastor Mm-hmm. I'm a layperson, man, and <laughs> I just have a passion for the word and, and wanted to grow. So I, I love the dynamic. I want to say that, yeah. you know, and that nah, it's wonderful. Um, so this is great. This is this is encouraging, and this it's great. It really shows how two Christian brothers uh, can come together and have a, a conversation and be on the same page about the Christian essentials, um, even yep. though we have different backgrounds. So um, that's a blessing, and it feels like I've known you forever, even though I've only known you three years. And that's another mm-hmm. beautiful thing about being part of the Christian family. You know, you, you meet you meet each other, and it's like, man, I've known you forever, but I have. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's that's so true. Yeah, that's so yeah. true. So I want to add that in. Anyway, we're a matter of truth. We're out of here. God bless you. See you. God bless.